This is the Marketing Podcast Network. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. Today, I'm pleased to introduce you to Jessica Weaver. Jessica is a wealth advisor, best-selling author, and founder of the Women's Wealth Boutique, the fastest-growing woman-owned financial firm in the United States. She joins me on Uncorking a Story today to talk about her career and her books. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Jessica. Hey, Mike. How are you? Thank you for having me today. I am excited to have you here, and I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody as we begin, which is, Jessica, tell me, where does your story begin? Oh, wow. So I have been a wealth advisor since 2010, but I've grown up in the industry, Mike. My father's been an advisor for about 40 years. So I would say my story began sitting on my family room, rug, carpet, stuffing envelopes for my father's business. <laughs> those cold mailers that they would send out, those were very popular back in the day for anybody in sales, advisory business kind of thing. So I was probably around six or seven years old, I would say. Okay. And at six or seven years old, did you have a sense that that's what you wanted to do with your life or was it too early to tell that back then? Oh, no. I grew up hating the stock market. I hated it. I could see how emotional it made people, how emotional money made people. But I will say I was always very intrigued and interested by money. I had this pin. It was kind of my piggy bank that I would keep in my closet. And I would put any cash I had in there, you know, for birthdays, holidays, things like that, any tour money. And I loved going into my room, counting my money, putting it back in my pin. And even my parents knew how much I loved this pin of money because whenever I got in trouble and I would lock myself in my room, they would come and they would knock on the door and say, Jessica Weaver, or sorry, Jessica Claire, open this door right now or we're taking all your money. And it worked, <laughs> like it worked every time. I was terrified. Of losing my money so i've definitely always been fascinated by money i yeah. just wasn't sure how i felt about the stock market back then you know i i found uh throughout life if a middle name is being used um it you know people mean business right yes it still sends chills down my spine <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, if my mother ever said Michael Joseph, I'd be, oh, what did I do now? Like, what, 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 what was the? And if my wife says it, if she says Michael Joseph, I'm like, I, the fear of God has put in me because something big must have gone yeah. down. But yeah, no, fast forward to when I started out in the financial industry, I joined my father's firm. So even here I am, an adult, a young adult, figuring out how to work with my father, who's also my boss. And he would still use that Jessica Claire. And every time I felt like that seven-year-old girl locking herself in the closet crying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How long did you work with your father for? I worked with him for most of my career. So I guess I started in 2010. I joined his firm around the same time as my brother. And it really was this, I would sit in on meetings. I would do training. I was learning as I went along and just kind of mirrored what my father was doing. And, you know, he's a guy in the industry. He's been doing it for a very long time. He had his systems in place. And I, this is just my personality, I think. I'm always trying to push the envelope and try new things, innovate. Can we make this more efficient? And it was very hard for me to fit into this mold that he had created. And he had a lot of success with. So it wasn't that it, was, it was, wasn't working. It was working for him. It wasn't working for me. So within a few years, I asked him, can I focus in on women? I saw that there was a disconnect between the financial industry and women, especially women going through divorce, which I witnessed with my aunts, my grandmothers, everybody, and also with becoming a widow. And then all of a sudden having to run all of the finances, and they've never done that before. And it was so scary, so overwhelming. And he said, yes, he was very supportive over it. So within a few years, I started to create this niche, the Women's Wealth Boutique, but under my father's firm. And then actually in 2022, so last year, we had split from my father's firm and launched our very own, it's called an RAA, but our very own firm, the Women's Wealth Boutique. And that started in March of 2022. So for most of my career, I was with my father, but I always was kind of creating something of my own. And building and building from there. Yeah, yeah. So th- this idea of the kind of seeing in your life, you know, women who have been sort of impacted by by big life events, um, you know, life changes, whether it's divorce um, or or you know the death of a spouse. You know, you really found a niche to to kind of carve out for yourself in terms of sort of targeting or or kind of working with women. What was your father's reaction to that when you when you were pitching that to him? It was new territory for him. I think this happens with, with anybody who is, is outside of their box, their realm, what they're used to. It was, well, let, let's try it. Let's see what happens. I got my certified divorce financial analyst designation. I joined a collaborative divorce group. I really threw myself into the work, and he was always supportive. I even have a blog called Not Your Father's Advisor. He did give me the blessing for the title because most advisors are my dad. They are men in their 60s and 70s. So I want, there's a whole different generation coming in as advisors. And we also wanted to really appeal to women because they really were neglected by the industry. They weren't, they weren't engaging. There was just this huge disconnect. So how could we make it more relatable to them? How could we make it more exciting and fun for women? Instead of talking over their heads, how can we meet them where they're at? build more trust and my big thing too mike was let's do it in a social environment so instead of the work just being one-on-one which is very typical for a financial advisor let's do it in a group setting 
because we learn so much better in a social environment. That's why we have schools. <laughs> That's why we're yeah. learning as a group. We can ask different questions. We have different perspectives that are being shared. It's so much more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it sounds like you're, you're breaking a rule there a little bit, right? So you're, you're almost maybe not breaking a rule, but challenging a convention, right? So the convention being, Hey, this is financial services. It's very personal. It's one-on-one, you know, don't necessarily want anyone else knowing, you know, what my business is, but you're saying, you know, you know, let's get people together as a group. We're social, we're social creatures and kind of doing it that way. How, How does it, how did it feel sort of challenging that convention? I really like that. It was, I would say, it was different for our clients and our prospects, the women to join us. And we really had to sell them on the idea that you're going to like the social. I know it's going to feel weird. It's kind of like you're walking around naked for a little bit. But if you create the right environment, and this is how I always started our, our events, our dinners, workshops, anything, I would share my own personal vulnerable story. And you have, your whole thing is uncorking a story. So you can see the more we can share our own experiences and the more we can be vulnerable and kind of let our hair down, people are going to say, this is a safe place. This is an environment where I could share something. And often it would be something in my personal life that I would relate to money or even witnessing, you know, my grandmother's struggles through retirement and how that led to my passion, my mission to change it for other women. Even going through, I deal dealt with postpartum depression and anxiety with both of my pregnancies after the pregnancies. And I would share that with the audience. And it kind of was that would break the glass, that barrier, shed everything. And people could say, oh, I I can speak up. I can speak about my daughter-in-law who just had a miscarriage and I had to fly overseas to be with her and how that affected the money. It was pulling all these stories around. And once women are comfortable, they're going to start talking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, g- getting people comfortable building rapport, um, it's it's sort of very, it's the most critical thing you do in any group situation. And, you know, in, in my day job, it's, I run focus groups for a living. So I'm constantly oh. in groups of strangers talking about very sensitive things. And and within the first three minutes, my my only job is to make people feel comfortable in that room opening up. And to do that, you, you've got to sort of open up yourself a little bit. So I totally get what you're saying with vulnerability. and and even as a writer, and we'll talk about writing um, in a few minutes, but you know, you have to be vulnerable as a writer too, because you're building you're building a relationship with an audience who you can't see. Um, so you have to um, make yourself vulnerable there, just to make that connection with a reader, and then um, and then your writing almost becomes a little bit more authentic, or viewed as more authentic, anyway. Um, yes. You have a good point there. As an audience, you don't get to see, you can't feel their energy, their emotions, how it's being received. Very good point, Mike. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and be back in a moment with Jessica Weaver. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. 
And we're back with Jessica Weaver. Jessica, um, I'm curious, when did you start writing? When did um, writing books come into your life? I started writing probably, I think we started our blog in 2015, 2016, Not Your Father's Advisor. And the whole point was just to make financial finances, financial information terms more relatable to women, more engaging, you know, relating it to shopping, relating it to, you know, taking care of your family protection, legacy, those kind of notions. And I saw the popularity grow in the blog. We started getting thousands and thousands of views every week, every month. And so, you know, I'm going to write a book. And I actually, like I found out I was pregnant and the very next day I had this notion of writing a book and you know, I commit, I'm going to write a book that convinced my husband I could get it done before the baby came that I wouldn't be too stressed over it, but I was able to write the book, get it launched, became a bestseller. This was Strong Woman, Strong Grass. That's my first book. And then a month or two later, our daughter came. So it was cool. She was part of the whole journey in a sense as well. And that just, the the writing bug got me. I loved it. And I really wanted the writing style. It's very conversational. I wanted to feel that we're just having this intimate conversation. You can read it on the beach, on your vacations, cozy it up in a blanket. And I love the notion that I could spend hours with somebody and it could be in a very intimate, personal way and on their terms, right? They can do it how they want to do it. They can pick me up when they want to pick me up and, or when they need it, when they need that little boost, when they need that nudge, that inspiration, or what's that next step I should be focusing on. Yeah. Um, what did you, so, sort of writing that book, it sounds like you you wrote it and had it published and it was sort of on the on the shelves as a bestseller all within nine months? Yes. That's... I often say writing a book is like birthing a baby. And every one of my books was around the same time frame of having kids. Yeah. So being a writer and having written the blog so much, and this is what I always tell people, you have a lot more content than you think. You have a lot more copy just from your social media posts. If you ever write an article, a blog. So as the book was unfolding and the chapters coming into play, I would think of a blog post that I've written in a similar topic or notion, and I would pull that in. Or I would think of a story of a client or a case study. Whenever you get those interesting stories from your clients or prospects, please document them, categorize them, or keep them organized because you can pull those in to the next book, the next piece that you're writing about. So taking good notes, I interviewed that for that book, probably about 50 women. So there's a lot of stories of women going through a major transition, those life changes, divorce, becoming a widow, losing a parent, going into retirement, starting your own business, all of those. And what were the things that helped them get through the tough times? Whether they wish they had known kind of a cheat sheet for women. So you don't have to make the same mistakes over and over again as well. Second book, Time Tree Fine, I wrote, I had a program, Strong Retirement Club for women. It was a social program. So we would all get together. And we would talk about lifestyle, money, health, legacy, when it comes to retirement. And we called it refinement instead of retirement. Because, I don't know, the old retirement is no longer, right? We're not sitting at home doing nothing. People are busier than ever in retirement. They're actually harder to get calls with than our working clients. So what were the changes in retirement or refinement? So whenever we had an event, I would transcribe that event into the book. 
So that's another way to write a book. You, you can videotape, you can record voice memos, you can transcribe videos, recordings into a book, even conversations we would transcribe into a book. But my third book, Mike, I wrote in a week. That one was a quick one. It was one week, I swear. It was a direct download from God. And it makes sense because it is a more spiritual side of money. So again, pushing the envelope in the industry and kind of challenging the conventional views on money to what's the spiritual energetic side of money? The universe, we hear laws of attraction, the laws of the universe a lot more now. So I wanted to study that and see how it affects people's worth, their emotions around money, those good things. So, I mean, I have all sorts of questions on on how to write a book in a week, um, which I'm sure my audience is interested in. But but I also want to know about this this idea behind a spiritual side of money, because it's one of those things where, you know, kind of growing up, you're 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 kind of it's instilled into you. You know, money is the root of all evil. Um, and, and maybe you could bend that saying the love of money is the root of all evil. But um, what well, let's talk about both of those, maybe let's talk a little bit about kind of writing a book in a week and, and also just sort of this challenging the convention, um, around, you know, what, what money is and that it can have a, a spiritual side. Sure. So the book I had, and she's now been my business coach for a few years now, I met with this new business coach, potential coach. I didn't hire her yet. And I was toying with, I knew there was a third book in me. It was going to be around, you know, building your money empire. What is it? And during our session together, and this, I always encourage people, get a coach, a mentor, an advisor, because they can pull out of you what you can't see. Sometimes, you know, Mike, we have those vendors on. We only can see what, how we want it to happen. Um, and it became very clear. It's kind of the, you know, the 10 principles, the 10 commandments, the 10, and we call the money moves within the book. And these are money moves that I've been doing for over a decade with people with their money. And it was from the spiritual side, meditations, um, on healing money wounds, money baggage from your past. Or as you were saying, we do get programs, right? How many times did you hear money doesn't grow on trees? How many <laughs> times did you hear you don't have enough money for that or you have to work hard for money? They're always felt to be a sacrifice when it came to money. Even our industry, the financial industry, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of greed, guilt projected onto us. Even, you know, I grew up Catholic. I'm still Catholic. There is a lot of guilt that some religions will put on you as well. And you, like you said, money is the root of evil. Money will be greedy. So challenging a lot of those notions and seeing if we looked at money in a very abundant way. Let's face it, Mike, there's, there's so much money. There's money circling both of us right now, billions of dollars circling us right now. How do we get into flow with that money? How do we find that money? How do we align with that money? So everything from the spiritual then to the practical, now that we've opened you up to receive money, what do we do with that money? How can we trust that we will optimize that money, make the most of that money? And that trust is one of the number of reasons people don't have the wealth that they think they deserve or are after. They don't feel safe receiving it because I'm going to screw it up. I don't know what to do with this money. So it sits in my bank account. I call them homeless dollars because if we don't give that money a home, where's it going? We're going to spend it. They're going to find another home somewhere else at the store, online, on Amazon, to spend the money. So then how do we fully maximize all the wealth that is coming into our life? 
for ours, for the next generation, for our communities to give back more and more. So really challenging a lot of the notions we grew up around, the, it's this programming that we have inside our minds, how do we challenge that? So once we got clear on what the book was about, it just flowed through me. I swear, I would be driving home from my commute. It was about 45 minute commute and I would have to pull over and I would pull up my Google Docs app on my phone and type away, or I would do voice memos and transcribe them as well. Uh, and then I would think of a blog or a previous article that we had that would back up that notion or that money move. And so it just came together. And by Friday of the week, I sat down with my husband for dinner and I said, I have eight chapters for my, my new book. He said, I didn't know you're writing a third book. And then he said, we're not having any babies with this book. Cause my first <laughs> two both aligned with our children <laughs> being yeah. pregnant at around the same time. So it, it was, it came very feverishly, I would say. Yeah. Well, you, you could have played a nasty trick on him too and say, Hey, um, you know how the first two books uh, were written <laughs> when I was with child. Well, guess what? I'm writing another book. You know what that means. But uh, it sounds like you did not take that route. So. No, we had just had our second child and it was a COVID pandemic. So, Mike, I think that would have sent him over. The end. <laughs> um, so the book was interesting, the... too. Yeah. When I was writing this, it was the busiest time of my career. And it felt like God wanted me to put everything on hold to get the message out. And sometimes that happens. Like, why? why is this coming to me now? There's, I don't even feel like I have the capacity to take this on. That's when you got to listen to your intuition and almost double down on it. Okay, if I'm doing this, I'm going to do it. I sat on the book for several months too. I didn't know what to do with Confessions of a Money Queen. And then Confessions of a Money Queen said so many things in motion, which led us to opening up the Women's Wealth Boutique. Yeah. I love the title confessions, uh, you know, I, having been raised and, and still I'm a practicing Catholic, um, you know, the term confession is uh, sort of ingrained in us from like second grade onwards. Um, but, uh, um, but but I love the idea of writing inspired. And I almost say like writing in spirit, like when you're getting in into the zone of something and things are just coming to you, being open to that. And I think this is what a lot of writers um you know, really should should strive for is just kind of writing in a state where the words are coming to you, you know, where the story is coming to you um, and recognizing that that is, um, you know, a, a gift. It's like a blessing from, you know, a blessing from the universe um, to get into to get into a state like that. I call it like writing in the zone, you know, when when all time starts to to sort of cease and, you know, next thing you know, you're being yelled at because it's time for dinner and you're nowhere to be seen. Um, which has happened uh, once, yeah, once, once, close. more than once. You don't even know how much time has happened. Yeah. You bring up such a good point, though, Mike. Be writing in the flow, writing from that spirit, that passion. It's very similar to money. Right? We can see when we have a writing block and you just can't push through. You don't know what the next word's going to be. You don't know the chapter, the title's going to be. You can't figure it out. But when you detach from it and leave it for a little bit, you could be driving your car, you could be walking your dog on a run, dropping your kids off at school, and it will hit you. And it comes. It's very similar to money. Like we feel it when we're in that money flow and you just stop something, or you get customers in, or getting new money flowing into you. And too, it's a very similar dynamic. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. Um, talk talk to us a little bit about, or talk to me, because um, there's only one of me here, uh, a little bit about sabotaging uh, your wealth, because I know that's something you um, you talk about as well. So how, how do we sabotage your wealth and how can we stop doing it? Oh, that's a great question, Mike. This is what we go into in Confessions of a Money Queen a lot. We typically fall back onto old habits and patterns when it comes, it could be money, eating, our health, sleeping, right? We fall back to these old patterns. So even if you receive new money, or I just had a call with a new product and just pattern with debt, and I said you were, you get out of debt, and then you find yourself back in debt within months later. She goes, yes, all the time. Why did that happen? Once you, let's say you pay off the debt, you're stepping into the unknown and your mind doesn't even have a, a program or a manual, instruction manual on how to process not having debt. So it feels scary and it's going to revert back to old patterns. Even if those old patterns are, are painful and we know they're not serving us, it's all we know and we will revert back to feel safe and familiar. Does that make sense? Yeah. So all all the stories all along being told certain things about money we're all taking that in while we're while we're living while we're working and it could be something your parents told you your peers your spouse tells you about money if you're told you know money doesn't grow up trees we don't have enough money for that you are going to have this mentality the scarcity mentality i don't have enough money and when once you say that your mind your mind is a very stubborn creature. It wants to prove itself right. And it's going to find ways to prove to you you don't have enough money. So we're constantly acting out of these old habits, these old mm -hmm. patterns. We lit literally are living in the past because of that. Yeah. That's what our subconscious does. So what we do in Confessions of a Money Queen and the 10 money moves come into play, here are 10 new things, habits, behaviors to create with money. But the big piece is, Mike, we want to make them sustainable because it takes about three days to form a new habit. We don't want you to be on board. It's like yo-yo dieting. On board, and then it doesn't work and you fall off. And we do these bite-sized pieces that keep the momentum moving and creating new habits, a new manual to receive more wealth. And to trust, as the money comes in, that will always come in. Money will always be there for me, and I know what to do with this money. So we really just need to reprogram our brain, create new connections in our brain that are going to identify ways to earn money and new habits, how to use that money, how to save that money and back that money, things like that. You know, I love that you brought up yo-yo dieting because when you were talking about kind of the cycle of um, having debt, getting out of debt, getting back into debt. The first like sort of analogy I came up with or I was going to was dieting, which is, okay, you're, you have weight that you want to lose, you lose the weight, you gain it right back. Um, so it's almost like, and unless you really get into like why you're eating the way you're eating or why you aren't exercising the way you're exercising, whatever it is, um, unless you get to that core of kind of why you're getting into that pattern, nothing is really going to change long-term. I mean, it, it seems sounds like it's very similar also from a money standpoint. You've got to really dig into like re reframing your relationship with with money, um, with wealth and and all the behaviors that go with it. Yes. Sometimes we put our clients on a criticism diet where they just can't criticize themselves or people around them 
you when it comes to money because it's very easy when you fall into that pattern, that negative spiral. I never have enough money. And then a bill comes in. Look, here's proof I never have enough money. And then the credit card bounces up. See another. I never have enough money. How do we shift that focus? Because now we're just focusing on the lack, the scarcity of it. How can we shift that focus to, oh, I just got a check, an unexpected check from my grandmother, whatever it is. Oh, we call them little money miracles, right? And let's start stacking them so you can show proof that you are worthy of more money. God wants all of us to have a ton of money. He doesn't want us to live in fear um, and scarcity. He wants us to feel very free and abundant because when we do that, we're more likely to give back. We're more likely to take care of ourselves. We're going to get better sleep. We're going to have better health. We're going to take care of our children. The ripple effect is huge, but you're right. We, the money bag, it goes deep. It could be from, you could be four years old seeing your parents fight about money. And now your impression on money is, well, it brings up negativity. It brings up resentment, yelling, anger, fighting. And now when you're in a relationship, maybe you're talking about money because you always think it's going to lead to a fight yeah. and that avoiding of money. Well, that has its own. It goes on and on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is uh it sounds like you take a very holistic approach to, uh, to, um, to, to what you do, um, which, um, which I think is uh, again, challenging that convention. Cause it's not just about, you know, putting money away into, you know, your 401k or your step IRA or, or whatever the investment vehicle is. It's, it's really getting to the core, um, or the as Don Henley would say, the heart of the matter. Yes, it's true, Mike. Because <laughs> we see it all the time. Our clients, they could have millions of dollars, but they still have the same fear as if they had it their first thousand dollars. So why why is that? If the numbers changing, but our emotions around it isn't changing, or maybe it's getting even more complex. Now we're even more scared because there's money to lose. Well, we don't want people, even if they have more money, still scared or stressed, overwhelmed with it. So we really want to to fix that first and heal anything that needs to be healed, reprogram the beliefs, reprogram how our mind looks at money so that they do feel good about their money every single day. Even if the markets are down, they still feel good. Because that's a, been a huge difference over the past year. We had a very tough time with the stock markets, the bonds, in inflation, interest rates. But our clients were the most calm I've ever seen them, given the state, and even talking with other advisors. And it's because we do a lot of this healing work. Every single week, they get our, our meditations, our blog, some a video, a training tool that helps recenter them to refocus and to feel less stressed over their mind. When we can bring those stress levels down, it opens up so many more opportunities. Yeah, I love it. I love I love your approach. And um, if if I were a woman, I would no doubt um, you probably wouldn't take me as a client in my current state. Um, we do work with men, Mike. Don't <laughs> worry. We do. <laughs> um, well, I always like to say, uh, um, you know, according to stories about the story behind the story, which is your story, and um, I always like to get to know my guests a little bit more. Uh, through pop culture. So I'm curious, Jessica, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things that you were watching on television? Oh man, growing up. Thinking back to that, my family, big Simpsons fans, loved watching The Simpsons. We loved watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, um, Family Matters. A lot of those, those family sitcoms, we watched Seinfeld, 
anything with humor i would say we really yeah. <laughs> we really enjoyed watching i still remember my brother and i would sit on the floor and i tell my parents would sit behind us and we would just veg out for a little bit uh, before homework before sports all that stuff i'm so happy you said seinfeld my uh my kids who are triplets in their 20s they got into seinfeld or two out of the three got into the seinfeld um in the seinfeld they got into it's seinfeld. on netflix now i just yes saw. yes and i have so much fun just watching it with them because like the humor is as funny today as it was you know the 90s when i was watching it um you know as a young adult <laughs> and uh and just to see them laugh at some of the silly just the it's inane like some of it is just so inane but but i love it it so is you know what's another one the sopranos Every oh, few years, my husband and I will rewatch The Sopranos, and I feel like I'm living my childhood while watching Meadow. I had the same phone, the same comforter. Like I felt her room was my room. Oh, really? <laughs> or the butterfly clips in her hair. That was me. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I, there was, a, you know, an interesting, um, I was a huge fan, watched it during the original run, and then after my wife gave birth to our kids, um, I had to stop watching it. And it, I remember the episode that I bailed on was when, um, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen The Sopranos yet, although it's been a good 20 years, um, when Adriana got whacked um, and Silvio, like she was crawling Ooh, on her hands and knees and Silvio. I had to stop watching it then. And I never finished the series until this past April, I broke my foot and I couldn't run. Um, so I had a lot of downtime and I was like battling depression because running is like everything for me. Um, and I rewatched the entire exactly. series and I finished, you know, I finished it and um, man, what a great, I mean, just the writing on that show, the acting, everything was, was superb on that. I feel it's more of a comedy than you realize the more Absolutely. you watch it, the Absolutely. funnier it gets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, I mean, Pauling Walnuts, like is just, he's just, I mean, he's a, not going to say it i wound up hating him at the end of it however just his uh that episode in the pine barrens with him and christopher uh, with the russian i mean some of the best comedy i've yeah. ever heard um right, moving... <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, how about music what were you listening to growing up oh man spice girls oh, that boy. tell me what up, you want I was you really, really boy band. yes exactly girl power I was part of the girl power. I remember was I fourth grade when the WNBA came out and that was huge for me because I played basketball in college. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, or so there was a huge movement for women professional athletes when I was growing up. Um, it's also the boy band craze. So in sync, Backstreet Boys. But I always loved classic rock. My parents got me into classic rock. So we saw a lot of those bands in concert. From Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp, CCR, Fogarty, C. Miller Band, Almond Brothers, a lot of those guys, those bands I grew up listening to. That's uh, that's all. I, lo I love all the, everyone you just mentioned, I love, uh, minus the boy bands and the Spice Girls. <laughs> but um, I, I did have one brush with fame, with WNBA fame. So uh, Rebecca Lobo, who um, played for the UConn she Huskies. She was my that's biggest her. idol. Was she? I love her and her mom. Um, she was in, because uh, we were at UConn at the same time. She was in my poli-sci class and she was always there. She did wasn't one of these, like, were the men, you never saw the, the male basketball players in class. Uh, but Rebecca Lobo was always in that poli-sci 121 class. So. My she's such a class act. She's yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Huge fan of hers. Um, I read her book, her mom wrote together. She's always been, yeah, one somebody that I always looked up to. Yeah. Um, so I know we are getting a little tight on time. I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, uh, this one more about writing. Um, what are you going to take? So I imagine you have another book in you. Um, you seem somewhat prolific. Yes. Um, what, what lessons have you learned about writing that you're going to take into your future writing? Ooh, yes. I, I, a lot, I love when our advisors, they'll read all three of my books, but in order, and they'll see the progression of my writing, even from the call to action, right? What are you pushing your readers to do? Has changed and I would say matured. Um, through the three books. The fourth book, it's definitely going to be more and more in alignment with God. It's going to be a shorter book too, which I love this notion. It's going to be probably under 100 pages, maybe a book that you keep in your bag, your pocketbook, your backpack that you can pull out when you need this little boost in your day, you know, probably one page call to action kind of things within it. So I definitely see the book movement going to shorter books something easy, bite-sized nuggets that you can take with you as you go, something you can lean on throughout the day. The third book, we also add in a lot of online bonuses that correlate with it, from the money meditations to a whole online course lift that is all about healing your money baggage and issues to open yourself up to wealth as well. So we've added more components than just the written words. We have the audiobook with Confessions of a Money Queen, We'll be doing that with the, the fourth book and definitely sharing more and more of my story with people and being more being more comfortable to get vulnerable with them. I often forget my what I put into the book and then people ask me about like, how did you know about that part of me? And I remember, oh, that was in that book. Of course they can ask me about that intimate detail of my life. Right. <laughs> you often feel like you're walking around naked, I think, after writing a book and you forget what you put, all that goes into them. Um, and having more fun too, not putting so much pressure and expectation on ourselves. We forget that work can be fun and playful. And especially when it comes to writing the creative side, it should be, be more fun and flowing and almost effortless. Like you said, you, you get into these writing periods of your life and you don't even know where the, the time's gone. It's just flowing yeah. from you and it, it feels good. It's easy. It's effortless. It's coming fast. So allowing more of that in my life, even and all around the business, I want to have that for this year. Yeah. So last question for you. I want you to think about that young Jessica who is uh, sort of stuffing envelopes for her father. And uh, imagine you could go back in time and whisper some words of advice into her ear. What would you tell your younger self? Start crying thinking of that younger, that younger inner child of me. Um, we often do this with our ladies, so it's interesting for me to do it to myself. The biggest piece would be that even when you think you are failing or you're struggling, you're hitting a problem, is that that problem is really setting you up for something greater. And to not be stressed over it or scared by it, but for it actually to almost ignite you and get excited by it. And Chances are you're going to help somebody else overcome that problem, that struggle or issue. And now also and to profit from it and not just profit for, for you, but for the, that person you're helping to profit from it, for your community you to profit from it. So not to shy away from those, but to almost go head first into them. Okay. 
Very good. Well, uh, we've been talking to Jessica Weaver. She has a number of books uh, available for sale. Jessica, where can people go to learn more about you or learn more about your books? Well, you can go to jessicaweaver.com. All three of the books are there, but if you go to Confessions of a Money Queen, you can get the free audiobook version of Confessions of a Money Queen, 10 Money Moves to Claim Your Power and Prosperity. Blogs that are our courses so jessicaweaver.com or you can follow us at, at pink fix my money pink fix my money on facebook pink and instagram fix. i'm gonna take a shot in the dark here and say pink is your color yes <laughs> pink <laughs> changed my world that's for sure but we wanted a fun energizing feminine or that would really ignite women when it comes to their money and easily easily identify us by so it's been working so far for us mike there you go. Well, Jessica, thank you for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.